the people that took care of her, the doctors, the patients, her friends, even her family, you know, her husband and kids, they were great about dealing with the tasks about the cancer. But when it came to talking about the emotional side of it, really weren't really well equipped. And I noticed that with everybody, not just as it affected June, but I mean, with everybody I came into. And as I started to do fundraisers and talk to people and kind of get like more involved, because, you know, when you got somebody going through something, you get more involved and it just becomes part of your reality for a little bit. I noticed that everybody had some kind of uh, identification with that idea that, geez, I just don't know what to say to people. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Hi, persisters and brothers. It's Lisbeth, of course, at Persistence You with Lisbeth. This day that I'm recording the intro, which is weeks, if not months before you'll hear it, it's February 27th of 2023, and I'm about to introduce author David Richman. If I've said the name wrong, he's going to correct me, but I'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say. David wrote a book that's a number, well, I'll tell you the title. It's a, it's a very self-explanatory title, but the reason he wrote it is just so incredibly beautiful. The Cycle of Lives, 15 People's Stories, 5,000 Miles, and a Journey Through the Emotional Chaos of Cancer. It's so neat to see where he got his courage to write The Cycle of Lives. And why he knew it was a story that had to be told, especially interesting to me because he does not have cancer. So it's going to be, I don't know, hopefully not a tearjerker. I know many of you have lost family members to cancer and I did also not very long ago. And I think in a closer family setting than my own, I wonder would I have been David? Um, You know, my sister's passing was much quicker, uh, expedited, but we weren't that family to begin with. So um, I think it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful that uh, David did what he did. This is, like I said, it's February at the tail end of it, 2023. Just got news recently. If you follow me on social media or uh, on my email list, at lameredith.com. If you're not on it, why aren't you on it? But uh, you probably would already know this, the movie that's based on my life story uh, and memoir, Stolen by Their Father is the movie, was just nominated in Canada for some really prestigious awards for the best performance of an actress for Sarah Drew and a screenwriter. This may not be the exact title, but uh, Barb Kimlicka, who I adore. I just, both of them were outstanding in their performances. So the fact that the movie has done so well is just exciting. It really, really is. In other news, I'm starting to do college speaking events now and just got a PowerPoint finished just a minute ago. And I'm about to dig into my final 
beta reader for Grounded in Grit. And so excited that I had one. She's actually my accountability buddy that I met at 20 Books to 50K. And so I'm lucky that she gave it a look. And it's just so much nicer to do things just like we talked about recently um, with one of our podcast guests on creativity. It's all of our ventures are better when we have someone to share it with. We find that little bit of community, whether we're quilting, whether we're writing, uh, painting, whatever it is, gardening. And so to have someone to do work with and who kind of holds my feet to the fire, oh my gosh, it's making it so much better because I hate to displease people. I'm such a ninny that way. So to have her, knowing that her disapproval is just a few weeks away, it keeps me moving. Always great to hear from you. Thank you so much. I want to say to my brother, one of my brothers, a huge shout out. He buys me a cup of coffee on the link, buy me a cup of coffee. Uh, He did a few times as well as Sharon, as well as um, Jan. It means the world to a podcaster or to an author when somebody supports their work, because it helps us know that we're not doing it for nothing. We're not all alone. And frankly, I underwrite a lot of expenses for this stuff. And I have a small income, so this really does help. But it more than anything, just makes me, it's like a virtual hug. Huge thank you. Appreciate it. And we will begin in just a moment. I surely hope you enjoy this episode. You know you have more than 110 episodes to listen to now. We have quite a backlist. And I'm really getting excited for what comes next in Women's History Month. So Please indulge, binge listen, and share it with friends. Give them, you know, you can text the link to them and help them get the fun information and support that makes life even better. And thanks so much for being here. We just had internet problems. Let us hope that we don't have them again with the guest. Okay, let me put you on pause for a tiny, tiny second. Thank you. David Richmond, thank you so very much for being on Persistence You today. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here, Elizabeth. Let's let's have a talk. Yes. When I read about your book and I introduced the listeners to your book just a little bit, but mm-hmm. I was so very touched at the work that you have done. Before your book came, can, came out, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? and about your sister and why you decided to write this book. Yeah, sure. I can try to do that pretty quickly. So I was at a pretty low point in my life. Um, I was married to an abusive alcoholic. I had four-year-old twins. I was overweight. I was a smoker. I was as stressed out as a person could be. Um, You know, a lot of negative energy in my life, a lot of, you know, negative things that I had to deal with. And in a period of a short period of time, I kind of was able to take charge of my life and start to turn that around, um, escape that relationship, get me and my kids to safety, and then then you know decide maybe the guy in the mirror needs a little bit of attending to. So maybe I should start worrying about you know taking care of myself. At that same time, my sister June, who I was really close to, both in age and and we were close. At that same time, she uh, told me that she had terminal brain cancer, wow. and she had already kind of overcome the trauma we had in our lives and you know really was settled into who the best 
June she could be, the best person she could be, happily married, great kids, great job, great circle of friends and family, like really living a really wonderful life. So it was this like two roads that were kind of parallel, right? Mine was a road of discovery. Hers was a road of kind of winding things up. And we spent um, a couple of years talking about how those things affected us and kind of, um, you know, try to make some sense out of it. So um, that was kind of the, the foundation of my book, of this latest book. And what this project was all about was I noticed when she was going through things, Lisbeth, that her, the people that took care of her, the doctors, the patients, her friends, even her family, you know, her husband and kids, they were great about dealing with the tasks about the cancer. But when it came to talking about the emotional side of it, really weren't really well equipped. And I noticed that with everybody, not just as it affected June, but I mean, with everybody I came into. And as I started to do fundraisers and talk to people and kind of get like more involved, because, you know, when you got somebody going through something, you get more involved and it just becomes part of your reality for a little bit. I noticed that everybody had some kind of uh, identification with that idea that, geez, I just don't know what to say to people. Right. And, and, and I don't know how to deal with the emotional side of it. Uh, and so that was the the start of the project. Oh, that's wonderful. I, mm-hmm. I feel like you just touched on something that's so important. We're not really equipped to have those heavy emotional conversations. Mm-hmm. There's like no training as we're being raised up. Like, hey, here's what you do when you find out someone you love is dying. And so it makes people who are so lonely because the rest of us will shut it down. Like you're not going to die. Think positive. Right. Don't, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, we're all actually going to die. So right. but even if we're, work. even if we have the strength to be able to do that, uh, what happens with trauma, most, most, most of the time, what happens with trauma, it doesn't matter if it's cancers, you know, suicide of a relative. I mean, there's a, a abuse, there's a tons of different types of trauma is it becomes a very isolating place because I would much rather not talk to you than say the wrong thing. Right. right? I would much rather go, man, they're dealing with something. I don't have anything. I better just stay out of the way or you get embarrassed because you, right. you, you don't know. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, you know, when I spoke to everybody in the book that I spoke to and I, and I interviewed 15 people, well, the people that made the book were 15 people I had interviewed for about two years. And I obviously talked to hundreds of people um, more than that, but there was always a common theme of it's very lonely because you just don't know what to say. And and it's very isolating because you don't want to let people in because you don't want to make them feel bad. They don't want to force their way in because they don't know what to say. And so it can be a very lonely, isolating place. And I wanted to try to say, hey, I'm not giving a prescription for how we solve that, but I just want to give some insight into it so that maybe we can take a tool with us to the next situation like that and go, okay, maybe this is what I could say, or this is what I could do, or, you know, this is how I can become uncomfortable so that it's not so isolating. I love it. When did you know you were going to write that book? Like what was your sister still alive and you talked about it or tell, tell us about that process. So uh, the American cancer society does a relay for life uh, thing. It's like all around the country. Most people are familiar with those things. If you, if you know anybody that's gone through anything with cancer at the working place or whatever, they, they do these relay for lives. And right before she passed away, um, she had um, a a team of people were going to do a fundraiser and honor her and do this whole thing. And she said to me, Hey, listen, 
uh, I want to be out there for the whole 24 hours. So just, you know, let's figure out how to make that happen. And I said, well, you're, you're pretty sick, but if you'll be out there for the whole 24 hours, I will too. I'll run, I'll run the track for the whole 24 hours. Oh, wow. Well, by then I've become a pretty accomplished endurance athlete and it was long past, you know, it was a few, a couple of years in. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, I said, okay, I'll do it. So she unfortunately passed away two days before the event. So she couldn't be there, but I was, and, and uh, many, many people were there uh, to, to remember her and, and honor her, you know, even though she wasn't there. And I just became hypersensitive to that idea of how lonely it is when it comes to the emotional side. And at nighttime, you know, this American cancer, the relay for life at night, it's like this kind of remembrance thing. And it gets really somber and quiet and nobody talks. You just hold hands and you, most people don't even hold hands. You just walk in your own little space and then you don't like, and then you move on to the other things and the tasks of it and whatever. But I went, man, I got to figure out why, why is it that I don't know what to say? And, and, and what is it that, that prevents people from telling me what, what to say, you know, what's right, what's wrong, what makes them feel better? What doesn't make them feel better? What's, you know, what's, is the right thing to do to, to avoid them is the right thing to do to kind of force yourself into this. What's the right thing. I don't know. You didn't know. Right. We're not, like you said, we're not trained on how to deal with this kind of stuff. What do you say to somebody who's lost a relative when you walk, when you walk by him at work and they're like, oh, you look plumbed out. Oh, you know, my uncle just died or whatever. And you go, I'm sorry. And escape as quickly as you can. Because what can you say? Right. So I wanted to say, there's got to be a better way. And so that's what cemented it in my mind that I wanted to find a ton of different people that had different ages, different traumas in their lives. They had a lot of family. They had no family. They had, you know, suicide in their, in their history, drug addiction, abandonment, you name it, all the traumas that we all get. And then I wanted to say they had cancer one time, or they had cancer five times, or they were a doctor or they were a nurse. Just, I want all the different types of perspectives I could get to say, tell me your situation Mm -hmm. and why were you, or were you not able to connect with people in a meaningful way about the emotional side which is not an easy topic to talk about, right? It took us a long time to develop the trust to be able to right. talk about those things. But once we were able to talk about them, then I was like, oh, that's a nugget. Let me uncover that, uncover that. Oh, that's okay. I understand a little bit more. And so I wrote out their stories, again, not in a, a preachy way, but just in a revealing way. And then by the end of each story, you kind of go like, wow, I, I get what people could have done better or, mm-hmm. or what they could copy because they did it well. Right. And that was the purpose of the book. Because we want to do well, not, you know, as humans, we want to be able to support the person we care about, but it's so scary. It brings up so much of our own fears. Mm -hmm. And so that you have taken this on and let us learn from so many different people. I mean, I think that's absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. What was the process like for writing this well, that's a great question. It's a it's a it's a two part answer, I guess. Right? What comes to mind immediately is the process was one. I interviewed them, which had to develop a lot of trust. Sure. And I didn't do it over Zoom. Zoom really wasn't around then. But um, I did it over the phone, so they didn't feel like I was judging them and seeing them. Right? I didn't know most of the people before I had met them. Uh, and it took a while. Now I couldn't bond with everybody. Not everybody could bond with me. So a lot of people went by the wayside. But 
finally found some people and really took time to uncover things and give them a safe space. Uh, trust me and I could trust them to ask the right questions. And, you know, I mean, I would say, hey, can I ask you about this? And they go, wow, nobody ever asked me that before. Yeah, okay, let's talk about it. But you can't get there really quickly. So the first part of the book was writing was that. And then the second part was, now that I've uncovered the stories, how am I going to write it? How could I explain in a meaningful way Lizbeth's life story as it relates to trauma and cancer and interacting on an emotional level? How could I do that in 15 pages or 20 pages? So I had to really uh, take a lot of time to write the stories. Um, I had to make sure that I captured them accurately uh, and meaningfully. And I didn't... um, that I want, I wanted to pay the proper respect to the people that had opened up and given so much of their time. And so I, I embarked on this like 5,000 mile bike ride to go meet them all for the first time. Cause I don't, Oh my them. goodness. Yeah. Which <laughs> that was a lot of writing. Yeah. It was a lot of writing. Uh, I did it in only 45 days. So it was pretty hectic, but okay. I met them all. And then over the next year or so I, I wrote the stories and then I kind of, Uh, sent it to them after my editor and I went back and forth a few times to make sure that I got, that that they would be proud of, of what we did change, you know, so, so, so it was a little bit of back and forth, but um, everybody ended up being very, very happy with the, with the stories. And, and um, uh, they were, they're really indicative of the highlights of that emotional journey with, with trauma. Oh, that's wonderful. That Mm -hmm. is so fantastic. How do you think your sister would have responded? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, in the cup, I don't even know. That's a tough question. In the couple of years before she died. Okay. I would be like, I'll, she would call me and I go, Hey June, how's it going? And then I'd go, Oh, you're an idiot. She's dying of cancer. You can't ask somebody who's dying of cancer. How's it going? Right. I think you can, but yeah. But then, right. I think you should go. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, by the way, da, 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 da. Yeah. Right? she wouldn't even think about it. Right. Every once in a while, she'd say something serious. Yeah. Because you got to deal with the reality of that fact that she's dealing with some heavy stuff, right? And she felt safe to sometimes share that with me. Right. And so I think what she would say is she would appreciate that I captured those moments because, um, you know, I, th- I think that people could learn they could learn a little bit from what others are going through. I mean, who doesn't like a good story? Who doesn't, right. when you read a book, when you watch a movie, uh, I'm, maybe, you know, stupid Marvel movies don't do this, but most movies you you bond with a character or the character and you kind of want to root for them or right. root against them, but you have this like bond between you. And I think she'd be happy that I, I think the stories touch the readers and allow them to to really identify with what people are, have gone through or are going through um, so that they can just have that moment of connection and maybe, you know, learn something from it. So I think she'd be, I think she'd be happy. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I, it just really is a lovely, lovely thing you've done to not only honor her memory, but her entire journey. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the journey that we will all face, no matter what, it may not be by cancer, but None of us are getting out of this alive. So, you know, it's really wonderful a t- tool to just have and reflect on what nuggets of wisdom can be learned 
uh-huh. in advance. You uh-huh. know, I, I think that's absolutely a terrific thing. Now you're a writer, right? You've uh-huh. written other books. I have. What, what do you do in general uh, for your life? Ah, uh, geez. So my, my, my life is uh, taking care of myself and my family. So okay. however that means, that means health wise, entertainment wise, you know, um, my day job is in finance. So I, okay. I still make a living uh, having a day job, which is finance. It's not a whole lot of money in books unless you're, you know, Stephen King or right somebody like that. So I think maybe a hundred writers in the world make money, but you know, a million books come out every year. So uh, I don't really do it. What? What's that? Sorry about that. There's a crash behind us because the cat just did something. That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't even hear it. So nobody else did either, but it's fun okay. watching. <laughs> Thought I'd point that out. You're right. There's watching. maybe a hundred writers absolutely that are making real money that they could mm-hmm. live off of. And most, I think people don't realize that most of us are hemorrhaging some cash to be able to do the writing yeah. and yeah. paying the editor and all of that. So such a good point. Yeah. And by the way, Elizabeth, I, I just went to Nashville uh, last year and I was walking down the sixth street and looking in all these great musicians and you're blown away by how amazing they are. And most of them are either not getting paid. Some of them are even paying to play there. Right. I mean, right. I mean the, you look at the m- most amazing artists out there, the most amazing musicians. Most of them are not making a living, right? right. It's just the way it is. So they do it because they love it. Correct. And uh, so, so I write on a number of different topics. I write, uh, uh, you know, books on a number of different things, just hoping one day that somebody wants to read it or if, you know, if they're touched, they let me know, which is nice. And, and I do it just because that's what I do, right? That's what yeah. you do. That's, that's what people do is they do that thing. You know, they write a cookbook that a hundred people ever read, but it's what they do. So why not do it? You know? Correct. Correct. I think your, this book particularly though, does have some legs and probably, like hospice centers and places like that would be wise to have a copy, you know, it, you know, it has a yeah. a very evergreen and universal appeal. Yeah. Thanks. It kind of does. It's on uh, some pretty respected websites, suggested reading lists, and Good. it's won some great awards. I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, the audible is amazing. Cause I, I was able to, uh, leverage some relationships and get 15 uh, professional actors to uh, read each one of the 15 stories. So that's wow. yeah, really pretty cool. So it's, it's, um, you know, the audible is great. And like I said to you before, hundred percent of the proceeds go to the cancer focused charities that were chosen by the book participants. So I don't mm-hmm. feel weird uh, trying to promote it because first of all, I think it can help. And, right. and, and second of, or at least touch people in a, in a meaningful way. And second of all, Hey, if it does make any money, it's all going to charity anyway. So I love it. That is absolutely fantastic. All the better of a way to honor your sister. So, and for all of the people who were mentioned in this book, great mm-hmm. way to do it. That's fantastic. Where can people learn more about how to connect with you and learn more about your books? Sure. Well, thanks. I uh, I have evolved a little bit. One of the passions that I have is doing expressive writing workshops. So I work with okay. cancer organizations, uh, trauma organizations, um, uh, abuse centers, those type of places uh, to teach people how to uh, um, explore expressive writing in a way that can maybe provide a little self-care or self-healing. Uh, and so that's kind of fun. They can find out, out about that or my books or talks or whatever else at cycleoflives.org. 
I do list all the charities uh, there. Other, all the charities are listed in the book too um, that receive the proceeds from everything. Uh, and yeah, I do. I, I kind of have a lot of content and a lot of, uh, you know, st- stuff that I'm doing all the time. If this touches anybody, anybody's interested, just hit cycleoflies.org. There's a contact button. If you want to reach out to me, I love uh, talking to people. So that's how they would do it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for both your work and your time. This was delightful. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.